I'm very excited about today's message. I'm excited, and so I'm going to dive right in. We'd like to start with our mission statement. What are we here to do as a church? We're here to take as many people to heaven as we can before we die, period. Guys, let's be honest. The last two years have been rough. It's been a tough couple of years. We have gone through all kinds of turmoil as a nation. Really, in the whole world, people were in lockdown. There was political turmoil going on. There was racial tensions happening. I mean, people were at each other's throats. They're scared for their jobs, their careers. A lot going on. And if you add all that's happened up, it's what I would call the perfect concoction or the perfect depression cocktail. And so I just want to unpack this today because I believe this message will hit every single one of us. I mean, how many of us have, have if we would be, just be honest right now and say, I have dealt with bouts of depression before? Would you lift your hand? If, that, if you just be honest in the past, I have. I mean, you know I have because I'm a Texans fan. But anyways, <laughs> other than that, I think most of us deal with a bit of a depression. And maybe you say, well, it's kind of seasonal for me. Or maybe you say, Pastor, it's, you know, I just sometimes I'm just down. I don't know if I'd call myself like clinically depressed. We're not here to classify anybody as that. And, and if you are, it's okay. But I just want to encourage you, whether it's a, a season, a moment, or maybe it's been several years and you just can't get out of this funk and you just think, am I just going to be stuck in this darkness the rest of my life? I've got some great news for you. I want to give you some hope today because you can overcome this through the power of God. You really can. God gives us this great little chapter. God gifted us with the story of someone who really dealt with depression. It's very obvious he had all the symptoms that people with depression have. He also happened to be one of the greatest prophets of all time. And I think that's important to remember that you can be spiritual and walk with God and still be depressed. You can be honoring God and have great victories in your life and still be falling apart on the inside. And that was Elijah. Elijah was this man of God, but there's this chapter tucked away in his story in 1 Kings 19 where he clearly got so depressed, he became suicidal. And so if, if a guy like that, who's got these great victories, can deal with depression, then maybe we can admit it's okay that we deal with it too? So let's unpack this today because I believe there is some simple principles you can do that will really work. Now I want to talk about a couple things before I, before I dive in. There are three parts of all of us. There is the body, the soul, and the spirit. The body is the physical part of us. That's the most obvious part of us, okay? Uh, but the second part is the soul, which is our mind, our will, and our emotion. And the third part is the spirit, which is, this is, uh, reflects that we were made in God's image. And this is the part of us that will last forever, that will live in eternity. So there are three parts to us, and all three matter, and all three play a role in our happiness, in our depression, and how we're doing so that's important. Also, I want to point out before I go any further that I am not suggesting today that you skip going to see a doctor or a counselor and just come to church. So I want to be real clear that you may need to go get some blood work done and talk to your doctor. If, you, if this is an ongoing thing that's not a seasonal moment or just something you're going through, if you are depressed, and let me help you define this if I can, if you for two, three, four months in a row cannot seem to break out of this darkness, go talk to your doctor. And I want to encourage you to find a Christian doctor. There's plenty of them out there that can really help you, that it's attuned to the spirit as they're listening and seeing what's going on physically. Because sometimes it may just be a chemical imbalance. I know lots of leaders, not just Christians, but Christian leaders who are on medication to help balance them out. So I just want to mention that before I go any further. Please do not think I'm disregarding that. I'm not saying, so just get off your medication, and just be spiritual. No, please don't do that. You're under the care of a, of a physician for a reason. There's nothing wrong with that. So just let's take away that stigma right now. 
And the second thing we need to do is, is if you have an ongoing issue that you can't seem to solve, the longer that goes unsolved, the more depressed you will be. In other words, it may be your body, you, you, God's using your mind and your body to say, there is a problem, and so you, you shouldn't be happy right now until this is fixed. So God did give us emotions to set off something is to say something's wrong, I need to work on something. So if something's not getting fixed, it may be time to go talk to a counselor. And say, so, you know, I just can't figure this out in my marriage. I can't figure this out in my, in my attitude. I can't figure this out. Or I've got maybe some trauma from my past or whatever you're dealing with. Go work that out. So understand, you need your doctor, you need your counselor, and you also need a good pastor. And that's where I come in today is I'm hoping and praying that this word will really minister to you if you're dealing with depression. So you guys ready to dive in? Let me give you some help today. I'm excited about today's message. So here we go. The first thing we see here in the scripture is, is Elijah. I want to just give you a little backstory. He's got these incredible victories. I mean, in fact, he comes off of this amazing victory where it, it came down to the leadership of Israel had really turned away from God. And I mean, really turned away from God. They became actually anti-God in Israel. Of all places, the, places, the place that's the foundation of God's people had turned against God. And now they had leaders that had essentially become really frauds, that they spoke of God, but they weren't into God at all. In fact, they were actually into worshiping Baal rather than worshiping God. And Elijah was furious at this. He was so frustrated. And so he took a stand against the king. And so this is wrong. And so you can imagine the pressure he felt when the entire establishment state was against him. So that, that, that added a lot of pressure to him. He, he felt, you know, like, what's going to happen here? But Elijah was a powerful man of God. At one point, he, he basically speaks it, and the whole place dries up for three years. He says, there's going to be no rain, according to God, for the next three years. And God did that. Because of God used Elijah to speak that, and, and you talk about a bold proclamation, it came true. It was crazy. And then God used him again to bring rain. Anyways, th there's a lot of stories of Elijah that are worth studying. Right after Elijah won the greatest, his greatest victory, he actually defeated 450 prophets of Baal, literally defeated them. He killed them. That's what that means. You're like, man, this, I mean, this must have been bloody. It literally was. But what happened was he built this big, this big altar. He said, let's just see who's God's real. You, you keep talking about this big God of yours, Ahab and Jezebel. You keep talking about this God of yours. So you know what? That, those, that was a king and a queen. And, and he said, I'll build an altar to my God. You build an altar to your God. We'll see who's real. So they built these altars. Elijah literally was taunting them because he knew that their God was false. And he was, he was teasing about their God. What is it? What's your God take a day off? What's the deal? Oh, is he out relieving himself? I mean, it's pretty funny to read it. I mean, he literally was taunting about their God. Oh, come on, why don't you pray some more? Come on, why don't you, why don't you be more sincere? He was basically saying, you can be as sincere as you want. You're still sincerely wrong. And of course, nothing happened. Then he said, now, let's, let's build an altar to my God, the real true God. So they built this altar, and he said, now, pour water all over it, because the, the test was, God, I want you to light it on fire. Not about you, but it's really hard to light something on fire that's wet, right? So he says, soak it. Let's soak it again, right? And then, of course, God, boom, hits it with fire, and there's this, you know, he consumes the whole thing. Even the fire consumes the water, which is very unnatural. Like, how in the world is that happening? And so it just consumes the whole thing. And so it was this incredible victory, right? And then he says, now let's seize the prophets of Baal. And all the Israelites come, come together like, yeah, this is wrong. What are we doing? They take him and they kill all of them. It's an unbelievable victory, right? And then right after that, Ahab goes home to Jezebel, his wife, and says, you're not going to believe what happened. You know, our God didn't come through. And, and so Jezebel is furious, She's so angry that she says, if, if, if I, I, I will not go to sleep tonight until Elijah is killed. So she puts out this proclamation. I want him dead. I want him dead now. I do find it funny, by the way, that Elijah can conquer 450 prophets, but one woman's word scares him senseless. <laughs> you are powerful, ladies. You really are. So 
then he goes running. He, go, he runs for his life. And isn't that just like us to have a great victory followed up by a massive depression, fear, anxiety? He's running. I just want to warn you something if you don't know this. Whenever you finally reach that big goal, oftentimes it's depressing afterwards because then you think, this is, this is it? I have a good friend who won a Super Bowl. He's from Corpus Christi, Clint Gresham. And I said, what was it like that year after you won the Super Bowl? He goes, I spent most of my time talking to my teammates about don't be so depressed. It's actually a great victory, and, but there's more to life than just a ring. Wow, isn't that interesting? So a lot of times we forget that great victories don't fill your soul. Only God can do that. Amen. So the best of this world is not enough. So... So let's dive right in. Here's, here's how you drink a depression cocktail. Let's just see what happens here. Let's just see what happens. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 3. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. We're going to talk about Beersheba in a minute. But first thing we see, he's afraid. And so he runs off, and then he leaves his servant behind, so now he's alone. So fear and isolation leads to depression. Think about that. Fear, people have been scared of a virus. Everyone stay home. We're scared, let's all stay home. That's the perfect concoction, isn't it? And then we turn on TV and we'll keep you scared all day, all day long. Go to Twitter, you'll be terrified. Now you're scared to even say what you think about anything. So now well, we're gonna keep you in fear and isolation and we'll, let's do that for a couple of years. This guy was in fear and isolation for a couple of days and he wanted to kill himself. What I'm trying to tell you is that actually what you're experiencing is normal. We've had fear and isolation for literally over a year now, almost two. It's crazy. We're coming up on two years of this. So, of course, it's the perfect concoction. Look what happens next. Then he went on alone into the wilderness. You know what you do in the wilderness? You survive. That's what you do in the wilderness. They literally call it in the military wilderness survival training. So if you find yourself in the wilderness, this is when you basically have to admit you're waking up and you're like, how do I just get through the day? You're just trying to get through it. I'm just trying to keep my crap together. I almost use another word. <laughs> God, just help me to keep it together at work. Help me not to lose it with these kids. Help me not to snap at my spouse. Help me not to just freak out next time someone pulls in front of me the wrong way in traffic. You're just trying to survive. So it says he, he went alone into the wilderness traveling all day. Oh, man, see, he's, he, was, he was working too, too many hours as well. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. There's a spiritual prayer. God, just kill me. You ever want to pray that prayer? That's what he literally said. I have had enough, Lord, he said. What does that mean? Had enough means what? I'm at my breaking point. I can't keep doing this. That's where he was at. He said, take my life for I am no better than my ancestors. What do your ancestors have to do with this? He said, just take my life, Lord, because everyone I see on Instagram looks better than me. He was comparing himself. That's what he was doing. And so he says, they've already died. I might as well die too. So he's, he's just really unhappy. What does this mean? He, was, he had fear and isolation. Then look at this. No community and no rest. Stress, suicidal thoughts, living in comparison. That's a lot, isn't it? I just described to you a depression and suicide cocktail. So if you want to be super depressed, here's what you need to do. There are action steps that you can take to be depressed. You're like, I don't want to be depressed. But if you think about it, we've taken these action steps, if we have to admit. We've done all these things. No wonder we're depressed. We have fear and isolation, no community, no rest, stress, suicidal thoughts, and comparison all going on at the same time. 
And this leads to what? All this adds up to a lack of hope. A lack of hope. So how do we turn this around? How do you feed depression? The next few verses will change your life, I promise you. If you will simply apply these things. Still go to your doctor, still go see your counselor, but do these things at the same time. In fact, if you want, take this outline with you and show it to your doctor and your counselor. Say, is this accurate? Would you add anything to this? They'll add a few things, I'm sure, but they're probably going to say, yeah, all that works. I love it when the Bible's backed up by practical truth from, from the world. In other words, like psychologists are like, we've discovered these things work. Oh, what do you know? The Bible was true all along. So here we go. Let's dive right in. You guys ready? I got 11 points. I got the cruise. Here we go. You ready? Are you guys ready? I'm excited about this. Here we go. So now we know how to get depressed. How do we get undepressed? How do we defeat depression? Here we go. Let's go. The first thing is this. Then he laid down and he slept under a broom tree. The first thing you need to do is get some sleep. So, Pastor, I thought I needed to pray first. No, 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 right now, just get some sleep. Because your prayers will even be messed up if you're tired. Remember, he was praying, God, kill me. That was his prayer. What a quiet time. Would, would you talk about God, with God today? I talked about how I want him to kill me. You may need to lay down. Clearly, you need some sleep, right? So, get some sleep. Number two, improve your diet. Look what happens. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and said, oh, God is with you. He didn't say that. The angel said, now we're going to go do a great battle. No, the angel said, get up. You need to eat something. Don't you love the practicality of this? He says this. Angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones. That sounds good right now. How about you? That like, ooh, I love hot bread and the smell. Oh, the smell is amazing, right? And so, I mean, that's amazing. Oh, you just, just dab some sugar on it. I think we call that a donut. It's amazing. It's incredible. <laughs> Okay, all right, so he looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank, and then he lay down again. So improve your diet. This stuff matters. Have you noticed we haven't said anything spiritual yet? Sometimes I think we are so spiritual that we're no earthly good, that we forget we need to do some practical things too. Then look what happens. The angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more. So it says, first of all, go lay down. Now get up and eat. Now go lay down again. Wow. I mean, he's just, what's he doing? He's regulating him. Let's get on the right schedule. You know, people who are depressed stay up too late. They get up late, they stay up late. And so they get in a bad schedule. They're taking naps during the day rather than working and staying productive. Right? The schedule's all off whack. You improve your diet. The third one is to regulate your schedule by getting up early. You say, well, I can't get up early. Force yourself to get up early the first day, and you'll go, you say, but I can't get up early because I go to bed too late. If you force yourself to get up early, which means you didn't get good sleep that night, I promise you that the next night, you'll go to bed early. So how do I get, how do I, I can't go to bed by 8. Get up at 5. How do you get up at 5? Go to bed by 8. <laughs> In other words, it's just, it's just regulating your body. If you, if you think about people who stay up all night, they sleep till noon. Really, they still got 8 hours. They just got it on a whacked up schedule. Does that make sense? So if you look at it, your body's still going to regulate you. So regulate your schedule by getting up early. Number four, exercise. He says what? He says, get up and eat some more for the journey ahead will be too much for you. The journey. Well, I don't know if you know this, but he wasn't going to take an Uber to the mountain of God. He had to walk. That tells me there's something built into Scripture that we kind of miss, and that is that we need to be getting some regular exercise. So this may sound really funny, but one of the best things you could probably do this afternoon is go for a walk. Just go walk around your block. You say, I can walk on my treadmill. No, that's still isolation. Get outside. Even if you have a really great treadmill, you spend a lot of money on it, let it sit for a while, 
Go outside. You can use that on a rainy day. Walk outdoors. Experience God's creation. Get outdoors. Smell the air. See the sun. It's a good thing, okay? Have you noticed that the first four things I've said are all physical and not spiritual? So let's start with the foundation of correcting some physical things in our life. Now let's go to the spiritual. Then it says this. So he got up and he ate and he drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. Now I would love to know what kind of power bar he ate to go 40 days. But rather than trying to find a food that will help you go 40 days, let's find the right food to help us go 24 hours. Does that make sense? We need to start seeing food as fuel. You take medication, don't you? This may surprise you, but the best medication you can take is broccoli, vegetables, um, lean meats. That's, that's actually better than medication. And so God made us to eat what he made. I, I asked my cardiologist, he goes to our church, I said, what should I eat? He said, stay out of the middle of the grocery store. He said, stay on both ends only. If God made it, don't let man mess with it and eat it how God made it. Isn't that a great word? I was like, oh, that makes sense. And so he basically says, we manipulate stuff and mess it up because just the way God made it is good for you. So just eat that. So it makes a lot of sense. So Go to God, that's the next thing. We need to go to God. He says that he went to the mountain, Mount Sinai, which is also called the mountain of God. So now it's time to go to God and say, God, I, I need you. So now look what this conversation happens. We're just gonna break it down with what Elijah talked to God about. It says this, it says in 1 King 19, verse nine, that's not 199, my outline got that wrong. It says, there he came to a cave where he spent the night, but the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, when God asks a question, do you think he doesn't know the answer? So when he asks the question, is he really asking the question for his benefit or for your benefit? So like, it's like when God said to Adam, where are you, Adam, in the Garden of Eden? Like, what, God didn't know where he was? Like, I'm pretty sure he knew. So he's like, where are you, Adam? And Adam's hiding under the table. You're like, yeah, I know you're right there. But basically he wanted Adam to realize, why are you hiding? Right? He's saying the same thing to Elijah, like, why are we in a cave? Hey, Elijah, why are we here? So you're the great man of God who is, you know, standing up to the prophet of Baal and I give you this great victory and now you're hiding? What are we doing right now? Why, why are you doing this? And so we need to go to God, then we need to clarify our purpose. He says, why are you here? Why are you here is not why are you here at the, uh, at, at the cave you're in, at the mountain of God. Why are you here is why are you here on earth? That's what he's saying. You know what will make you depressed more than anything? Being way off the mark. Being way off of your purpose. That will depress you. It really will. I find that the closer I get focused in on what God called me to do as a pastor and leading the congregation and, and reaching the cities for Christ that God's called us to, the happier I am. But when I start going in different directions, I'm not as happy. I get down. I get discouraged. This has been a tough year. Why? Because the very thing I love to do, I've not been able to do. I love to fill God's house with people and tell them about Jesus. And I was told by our government I can't do that. Don't you tell me that the devil's not involved when the government lets you do all kinds of other things. Oh, you can fill up stadiums. You can, go, you can go walk the streets, but you can't go to this house? I'm not saying everyone in the government's evil, but what I am saying is that clearly there's an agenda by a handful of people at least that want to keep us out of God's house. We need to recognize that. So clarify your purpose. Next is this. Focus on what you can control. 
Guys, you can't control what's going on in, in politics. Some of you say, I'm just so mad. I'm just so frustrated the way our government's going or this and that. Or, or maybe you're mad last you know, election cycle. That's fine. I'm not here to determine what your politics should or shouldn't be. But, but if you're mad and frustrated all the time because who you want in office or the agenda that you believe is going to be right for our nation isn't happening, if you're frustrated by that, that means you're only going to be happy about half your life. So we have to learn to recognize that we're not always going to get what we want. And we're going to have to learn to be happy anyways. So I just want to encourage you with that. So focus on what you can control. Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty. But the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Well, first of all, he wasn't the only one. But you know what the devil wants to tell you and I? You're the only one. You're the only one with a bad marriage. Oh, yeah, no one else has that. You're the only one with a kid who's gone wayward. Oh, yeah, that never happens. You're the only one struggling with your weight. You're the only one not comfortable getting older. You're the only one dealing with midlife crisis. You're the only, are you kidding me? This is so common. There's book after book after book written on all these things. You're far from the only one. But the devil wants you to believe that you, are the, you, are, you have terminal exception. I'm the only one. And you're not the only one. It's common. For people to be down. It's common for people to struggle. It's common. Focus on what you can control. You can't control what's going on in the world around you. But you can control you. You can control your response to it. You can't control everything. If you keep, if your happiness is based upon other people and what they do, you're going to go crazy. You know the whole saying, it's a cute saying, you know, a mother's only as happy as her, their, their, their saddest child. That's a cute saying. That's a terrible way to live. You're going to go crazy if your happiness is based upon one of your kids. I mean, I hate to break it to you. Don't have a lot of kids because your odds are going to go down every time you have another child. <laughs> and then you got grandchildren now, like four kids, 16 grandkids. I'm going to be depressed my whole life. Always one of them is going to be doing something stupid. I mean, I... And if it, if it encourages you, just remember this. When you feel like they're so out of control and they're never going to make it, your mother thought that of you. And now you're doing okay. I just want to encourage you. We all have a season of doing stupid things, right? Maturity happens at different, different ages. My wife has said to me, when is a man mature? I'm like, sometime after 49. I'm not sure when, but sometime <laughs> after 49. The truth is, is that we're all going to deal with some of this. But focus what you can't control. You can't control other people. You can't control politics. You can't control a virus. You can control you. That's all you can control is you. And if you're like me, I have a hard time doing that. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, I have a hard time controlling myself, let alone anyone else. So focus what you can control. Then look what happens next. He said this, go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by in a mighty windstorm, passed by in a mighty windstorm, hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. That's a blast right there, right? But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there came the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And the voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He asked the same question again. Why would God do this? This is Elijah who had just seen fire come down from heaven and lap up an altar that, God, that, that he had made to God. God had done big demonstrations to, to, to Elijah, but notice this. When, when Elijah was at one mountain, it was a public display of God's power. But when God is whispering, he's not talking to everyone. He's just talking to you. 
He's saying, you sure believe in the big miraculous me, but do you believe in the simple personal me? Can I tell you something, to be honest? You need your depression because that's how you find your God. If you weren't down, you wouldn't know it is to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge your ways and in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Not everyone else's path, your path. If you weren't down, you wouldn't go to the mountain of God. We may be praying away the very thing causing us to pray. God can even use your down moments to remind you who you are. Why are you here? Why are you on this earth? Elijah, what are we doing? What are we doing here? And so, yes, God was in the fire. Yes, God was in the earthquake. Yes, God was in the wind, earth, wind, and fire. That'd be a great band name, by the way. I like that. Earth, wind, and fire. He's also in the whisper. God is in the whisper. Get still in the presence of God. So focus on what you can control and get still in the presence of God. And that's exactly what Elijah did. You guys impressed, by the way? I'm on point nine, and I still have five minutes left. And I'm, 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 I'm cruising here, okay? I'm getting this done. All right. He replied again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty. Why does he keep saying that? Because you know why he's saying that? Because he says the same thing we say, which, let's be honest, the reason we're like, God, I've been serving you. I've been showing up at church. Lord, I've been even tithing. And I, and I, and I serve, and, and I help out in children's ministry, and I'm a greeter, and I bring people to church, and, and I don't cuss, and I don't watch bad stuff on the internet. And God, I'm a good person. What's he saying? He's saying, I thought we had a deal, God. I thought we had a deal that if I was really good and I served you, that everything would always go well in my life. There wouldn't be anyone else here who's tried to make a deal with God, would you? Because see that contract you keep presenting to God? He never signed that. But we think he signed it. That's why we're so mad. That's why we're so depressed. We're like, well, I've been doing all these good things and, I, and my spouse still died. I've been serving the Lord zealously and I'm still in bankruptcy court. I've been honoring you, Lord, and I still got, got sued. I've been following you, God, and I still have a lump underneath my arm, and I don't know what's going on. I'm trying to honor you, God, and I, I still got cancer. I'm putting you first in my life, Lord. My kids still aren't coming around to your house. Did you think there was a deal that you signed? Because actually the deal is, the Bible's pretty clear, that in this world you will have trouble. But I have overcome the world. But you're still in this world. So there's going to be trouble. So he thought he had a deal, and that wasn't how this works. I love the fact that God doesn't answer this question. He's like, I'm going to set that aside. What are you here for, Elijah? What he was saying was, if you get off your purpose just because you're having a bad day, you won't be very effective. Or in the words of the Word of God for a preacher, preach in season and out of season. When people can show up in a building, when you just got to do it on video, preach in season and out of season. What's God saying? What have I put you here to do? Do it whether you got crowds or whether you got no one. Do it whether you're making money at it or making no money at it. Do it whether it seems great or whether it doesn't seem so great. What are you here to do? Get back to your purpose. You got to be willing to do your purpose, what God calls you to do, even when it's just tough. And we're going to have some tough seasons. So he says, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left. 
He says it again. <laughs> now they're trying to kill me too. Now, this whole next section, God's answer is, is, is really powerful, but I want to give you the grand picture first. Do you know how you overcome depression? It's going to really surprise you. It's a simple answer. Here's what you need to do. Dream again. Dream again. Most people come to a fork in the road in their life and get on the right path because they, had, they hit a dark spot in their life and it turns them towards God. Then while you're walking with God, you hit another dark spot and it turns you into the next chapter with God. So God uses dark, difficult moments not to hurt you, but to lead you. It's not meant to cause you harm. It's meant to say, this isn't it, but you're with me and I'll lead you to what is it. Elijah would have spent the rest of his life being Elijah and not being Elisha's mentor. But because he had another dark season, God had him recognize something. It's not about you. It's about others. It's about a legacy. It's about what I have next for you. You have done a great work in your life, Elijah. But guess what? When you die, the work with you dies too, unless you pour into someone else. This is why we're doing the next conference this January, why we're going to begin to do a giant regional conference for students. Why? Because I realize that one day we're all going to die. So we need to pour our faith in the next generation. Does that make sense? And so one thing, and I, want, I want to talk to the older people in the congregation. I know there's only three of you, but those of you who are older. <laughs> your happiness will no longer be in your acclaim, in your achievement. At some point, you shift and you find joy in creating someone else's achievement. Raising people up. It's called legacy. It's the most powerful thing you have. It's actually not about us, and it never has been. It's about others. And that's what happens at this point. He begins to dream again, and this is what God tells him. Then the Lord told him, go back the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. Now, another translation says, go back to Beersheba, where you came from. Beersheba, by the way, you know what the word Beersheba means? It means the well of the oath. Go back to the original oath you made to me. Go back to your original purpose. We're going to go back to your purpose. We're just going to do it a little different now. God called me. My purpose in life was to plant this church and then to have a church that planted other churches. And so now I've found that my purpose is even stronger than ever to plant multitudes of churches around the world. But it's still the same church planter's heart for me. Does that make sense? So it shifts. It's going to be a little different, you know? I've noticed something about worship leaders. They get a little older. They get a little frustrated. They get mad. Like, why can't I be on the stage and singing all the songs right now? Oh, you didn't shift. You didn't recognize that there was a season when you led. Now there's a season where you raise up other worship leaders. Youth ministers get mad. Why can't I still be doing students at age 55? Uh, because you're losing touch with the next generation. But if instead you'll raise up the 35 and 25-year-olds to be student ministers, then you'll find purpose in reaching the next generation's leaders. So at some point, it's still the same purpose. You just shift in building others instead of making it all about you. Does that help you? So I just want to encourage you, you can find purpose in that. God has a future to bless you. And so what does this mean? Begin your legacy. Begin your legacy. Then the Lord told him, go back the same way. Go back to Beersheba, where you made an oath before me. Go back to that oath, what I call you to do. 
called you to be a prophet. You're still going to be a prophet. Now you're going to prophesy through another. You're going to prophesy through Elisha. Elisha, he's a younger version of you. And now you're going to raise him up. When you arrive there, anoint Hazael to be king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel-Meholah to replace you as my prophet. Now, for those of you who are like, I don't know what all that means. Here's what it means. You're doing the job of a prophet. A prophet is to, to do what? To speak to the king, to the leaders, and lead the people of Israel. Now he's saying, okay, the next generation is raising up. Elisha, Elijah, I still have a purpose for you. The purpose for you now is to raise up the next generation of, of prophets. And so you, you have great purpose. And so don't, don't forget that. Then he says, anyone who escapes from Hazael will be killed by Jehu. Those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elisha. What's, what's God saying? God's saying, there's a new generation that needs to rise up. Otherwise, my faith is going to die out in this town. My faith is going to die out in this community unless the next generation rises up. So we need to find purpose, those of us who are older in our faith now, in the younger people in their faith in raising them up. Can I tell you one of the greatest ways to, to renew your faith? You know, let's say you're 45, 50 years old. Why don't you go serve in our college ministries at Stone Oak or Rodfield? What a great thing. We have all these young people. And you know, I noticed when I was there the other night, there's only about three people over 40 in the whole room. And they need you to show them the way. And you said, but I blew it all through my 20s and 30s. Good, go tell them that. So they don't do the same exact thing. And so you can find purpose in raising up the next generation. Go serving in students. Go serving in children. Catch them when they're young so they can live their whole life for God. When, you're, when you get saved at a young age, two lives are saved. The life that you have now and, the, and your future life gets saved. Some of us get saved or come back to God more older. You know, what, let's, why don't we, wouldn't it be great if we just stayed with God the whole time? So let's pour into the next generation. So what, what he, says, he says, anoint Elisha. At this point on in the study of Elijah, you never see him alone again. Now he has a sidekick named Elisha the whole time. From this point on, he always has boy wonder with him. And he's raising him up. He realizes my purpose is now to take all the experiences I've had, pour into Elisha. Elisha's like, hey, the king's coming against me. Elijah's like, yeah, been there, done that. Here's what I would do. He's like, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I already know how to deal with Jezebel. I get it, Ahab. Yeah, let me, come here, let me talk to you. Let me walk you through it. And you can help them. Last thing is this. Remember, you are not alone. He says this. God says, yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed to the Baal or kissed him. God just told Elijah casually, by the way, you thought you were alone? There's 7,000 of you. Oh, well, I'm not really that alone, am I? I love talking to teenagers. They're like, there's just no godly person out there for me to date. There's actually 7,000 of you. You just all think you're alone, but you're not. Does that make sense? In other words, there's thousands of you. Seven is a, is a number of completion. What are you saying? God's saying, I got people everywhere, and they all feel alone, and they're not. And if I can just get all of you to tie in to your purpose again, then the way you overcome depression is to dream again, to believe God again. Follow the steps, get your health right, get, regulate your schedule, do all those things. Go back to the mountain of God, dream again, and then go back and do your purpose. By the way, did you know when he faced God? Guess what? When God showed up and the wind went by and the fire and all that happened, right? Earth, wind, and fire. What, what happened? Elijah came out of a cave. What does that mean? He came out of darkness and back into the light. And today, I believe God is calling you to come out of your cave. It's time to come out. I don't know a whole lot about caves, but I have been in a cave or two, and I will tell you this. This summer, we explored a cave for a little bit. It was dark. 
I turned on a little light on my phone. I can turn, it's, it was, just wasn't enough light. It was still so dark. And it was a little discombobulating. You're like, I, I don't know where to go. And see, when you're depressed, if you're making decisions in the middle of depression, you're like, I, I don't know where to go. You're going to run into something. You can really hurt yourself. Because when you run into in a cave, when you, when you hit a rock, that rock's not moving. It hurts. So it's easy to hurt yourself in a cave. But God is whispering to you, come out. I'm still God. And when you get face to face with God, you'll know that your cave is now behind you. Right now, would you bow your heads? Every eye closed, every head bowed. I believe God is speaking right now. He's saying, come out of your cave. Come out of your darkness. He is saying, I am still God. Even in your darkness. I am the God of your darkness. And I will bring you into my marvelous light. Trust the Lord. He is whispering to someone today saying, you're not alone and you're going to get through this. Trust me and dream again. Get your eyes off yourself and begin to pour into others. You still have a purpose. God is not through with you. With your head bowed and your eyes closed today, maybe your prayer is to say, God, I want to come out of that cave. If that's you today, just lift your hand up to God. Say, God, I'm coming out of this cave. I don't want to stay depressed any longer. I'm coming out, God. I'm not going to let my happiness be dependent upon someone else, upon circumstances, upon political winds that blow left and right. I'm not going to be tied down to all this stuff. The world is going crazy, but I refuse to do that. Lord, I'm going to come to the mountain of God. Mountain, mountains are big. You ever been on a mountain? They're really big. God's a big God. He can help you overcome your depression. You can trust in him. Make that your prayer. Say, God, I'm coming out. I'm going to follow these steps. I'm going to take this like a blueprint this week, God. I'm going to do these steps. Your head bowed and your eyes closed. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, of course you're depressed. Of course you are. Because you've found that there's nothing in this world that can satisfy you. That's where we all were before we found Christ. But Christ satisfies. Christ changes us from the inside out. You can receive him right now by praying a very simple prayer. Pray this prayer with me. You can say it out loud. You can say, say this with me. Say, dear Jesus... I realize I need you. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. And I believe you rose again. Please come in my heart. Be my Lord and be my Savior. I repent of my sins. I put you in first place. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you just gave your life to Christ, would you just lift your hand high? No one's looking around. Just lift your hand high. If you just gave your life to Jesus Christ, just lift your hand high. There are hands going up all across our different churches right now. Hold your hand high. Praise God. You are not alone. You are not alone. Lift your hand high if you just gave your life to Christ. If you're watching online right now, simply click uh, into the text and say, my hand's raised. Or if you're at churchunlimited.com, click my hand's raised. Just click it right now. Just say, my hand's up. I gave my life to Jesus right now during that prayer. Pastor, my life is forever changed. I just gave my life to Jesus. Praise God. They call him the light for a reason. He brings you out of your darkness into the light of God's love. Praise God. Praise God. Lord, we thank you for your word, God. Thank you, Lord, that we can defeat depression, that we were meant for more. Thank you, God, that we can begin to step back into the purpose that you gave us. We love you, Lord. Thank you, God, that even your prophets, even your great men and women of God dealt with depression, which means we're not alone, and they overcame it, and we will overcome it too. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Isn't God good? His word is so true.